Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, for the first time in a while, Zach Hubbard is back with us here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, our recruiting analyst, as well as our guy that helps us out with the transfer portal. He breaks down some of those guys that Carolina's landed. So we are going to talk to him about Nolan McConnell, who Carolina landed last week, their first commit in the 2023 class in a little over nine months. So a big one for Carolina. And we'll also ask him a little bit about the transfer guys that are coming in uh, that we didn't get a chance to talk about with them just yet uh, with uh, Legion Cavazos and Jacoby Cowan. So uh, we'll talk to him about that. And then we're going to play a little game of true-false. We'll throw out some statements. We'll tell you whether or not we think those statements are true or false when it comes to Carolina on the recruiting trail. But as I mentioned, let's start with that commitment. The first one in a little over nine months. Uh, it had been a while. Carolina had really been pretty quiet on the 2023 recruiting trail. You know, they had ho- hosted some guys on campus. They had landed in a couple of top schools lists, but this was a, a slow burn, and Mac Brown wasn't entirely shocked by this. I think, you know, from his tone in his press conference, kind of just said, look, this is what we expected with guys being able to take visits again. But that the month of May and June, that those two months were going to be huge for Carolina in this 2023 recruiting class. We heard the same thing uh, from Tom Luganville when he joined us a couple of weeks ago. Well, Carolina got May off to a really strong start. They go into the state of Virginia and they get Nolan McConnell, who is the uh, number two, uh, 433 overall player in the 2023 class, the number 32 offensive tackle, and the number seven player in the the state of Virginia. So once again, Carolina sort of flexing their muscle with 
this stranglehold that they kind of have on the state of Virginia, especially in the last two years and even dating back to the 2021 cycle uh, to pick up this young man out of Colonial Forge High School. Um, and and I think, you know, Zach, this is a, a big one for Carolina. One, because they needed to get some, just any general momentum going with this recruiting class. But I think, you know, the other thing is, is that this is still an area on the offensive line where Carolina needs some depth and they need some bodies. And uh, especially with a new offensive line coach coming in in Jack Bignell, uh, this is huge to get a guy that was actually his first offer uh, after he took over the job. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, new offensive line coordinator, or new offensive line coach, rather, Jack McNell, involved here in this recruitment. Um, as you mentioned, also for Nolan specifically, number 433 overall, number seven player in the state of Virginia. So right in that top 500 range that we like to cite as sort of the, the unofficial line for uh, a blue chip player or, uh, you know, a top player within a recruiting class out of um, Colonial Forge High School there in Stafford, Virginia, the uh, northern part of the state. And when you look at this player overall, he's a guy currently listed at about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, depending on where you look, uh, in between 260 and 280. Um, so weight will need to be added. We'll need to get into a strength and condition program. It might take a few years to get up to you know, collegiate size, uh, but a guy sort of in the mold of maybe you know, a Charlie Heck where they're large, they have... Um, a little bit of a background in another position, uh, specifically defensive end for Nolan. And But you can see the quickness. You can see the athleticism. And it's just a question of putting weight on that frame. I think in terms of his positional fit, I think he's probably an offensive tackle all the way mm-hmm. just based on his makeup and build. Uh, I think that he really shows that uh, agility there, which if you look at the Targill offensive line over the past few years, one of the uh, areas of emphasis or areas of improvement has been pass blocking and agility in handling some of those quicker edge pressures. So I think that this pickup specifically sort of helps you build that foundation to improve that area of the offense. And it's at a position that North Carolina wants to take a lot of bodies in the 2023 class. If you look at the depth chart or at the um, you know roster, at the guys that they have at offensive line um, on the roster or that will be on the roster in the fall once we have Spencer Rowland transfer in and enroll, it's a lot of upperclassmen. Um, a lot of guys that if they do not use any potential COVID year that might be available, uh, they'll be gone. Austin Richards listed as a senior. Ed Montellis, William Barnes, redshirt seniors. Quiron Johnson, Brian Anderson, redshirt seniors. And then Corey Gaynor, the other transfer that's already on campus, also listed as you know having one more year of eligibility. So there's going to be a lot of churn at that position after the 2022 season. Uh, and this is a great start to that uh, 2023 recruiting class specifically on the offensive line. Yeah, and, and I think... 
there's not really a big reason to be concerned about the depth. Um, I think, you know, you look at the last couple of classes, especially at offensive tackle, Carolina's done a really good job there to not only get talent, but to get depth. Um, and there are some guys that are shining as well that'll probably be on the interior of the offensive line. Um, Trevion Green had a fantastic uh, spring camp from everything that was talked about, but for a freshman. I don't think he's a guy that's going to come in and start this year. But, um, it, you know, this is this is still an area where Carolina needed to add guys. It's also very clear when you when you look at the number of offers at a certain position. Um, and some some positions, wide receiver, corner, those are the types of areas you expect a lot of offers. Same thing with the offensive line, but I mean we're talking about for corner and for offensive line, Carolina's got offers 15, 15 offers or more. So that tells you it's an area that Carolina is still looking to address. And you know, this was one that I, I think you know, they look at and then they'll, you know, they'll say to themselves, this is a developmental guy. We saw a little bit of that, I think, with Eli Sutton, although I think we thought due to just the overall talent, we thought he might be able to get on the field a little bit earlier. And maybe he still does here this year. But right now, it looks like it's taking him a little bit of time to progress. This is a guy that gives me that same type of feel. Um, you know, as you mentioned, six seven. I, I the last I saw two seven. So I think there's a there's a good frame there already. You will have to put the weight on to get up to around that 300-ish range that Carolina likes to have a lot of their offensive linemen. Uh, the thing I liked the most about him on tape was his first step. Really does a good job off the line of scrimmage, no false steps, gets into his position uh, and allows him to establish re- leverage early on. Uh, tremendous run blocker. And you would expect that with the type of offense that he runs. I mean, just judging off of his highlight tape, this is a guy that probably, I would guess, 85 to 90% of the snaps that he played are running downs. Um, and that's that's something that you're going to see with a lot of guys coming out of high school, unless they come from you know some of these higher leagues in some of these bigger states. Uh, it's usually going to be a rather simplistic offense, usually very run-based, um, because that's what wins at the high school level, especially if you've got you know do- a dominant running back. So that was what he had a couple of years ago. I think that, that played a big factor into why they ran the offense that they ran. And so that means that pass protection is going to be something that he's probably going to have to learn, especially when it comes to facing some of these quicker defensive ends that he could face in the ACC. I think the level of competition is probably also a little bit of a question mark with them. This isn't the biggest uh, league in the uh, VA, uh, or I believe he's actually in an independent league. Uh, league in the state of Virginia. So uh, it's, you know, smaller schools. Usually that means smaller statured players, and you can see it on film. So there is definitely a learning curve here, but it gives them some depth at the position. It gives them a guy that they can mold, and most importantly, it gives them a guy that fits what Jack Bicknell Jr. is 
is looking for because, you know, that that's one of the things when you have a, a coach that comes in and takes over. And look, there are some guys, there's no doubt there are a few guys that Carolina had already offered that McNell and his staff had offered at Louisville that they had relationships with. There's no doubt about that. But for him to go out and get one of his guys and for it to be from the state of Virginia, um, I think that is huge for Carolina, um, you know, when it comes, Zach, to, to, you know, looking at him in, in terms of, you know, his potential impact for Carolina starting out of the gate, you know, and, and, and that pass protect, having to learn pass protection and everything like that. Um, did you notice some of those same things when you watched him on film? Yeah, absolutely. Like I mentioned, um, it's really just the agility, which is common with that sort of frame that really sticks out to me. Um, Like I mentioned, you know, that is something that Carolina is looking to recapture on its offensive line. They've somewhat lacked that in the past few years, and it's it's been one of the off-criticized points of the target offensive line thus far in the uh, Mac Brown tenure. Um, so I, I do see that, you know, the pass blocking ability, the ability to get up quickly, get to your pass sets quickly, and sort of avoid the, uh, you know, the immediate, um, you know, having to get to beat and then recover. He can sort of, you know, engage with edge rushers, specifically the speedy edge rushers, a little bit quicker uh, than you may see from the average offensive lineman. So, uh, yeah, and, and again, the guy that's probably going to take a little bit of time uh, when it comes to him arriving on campus. Now, look, this is a big addition for Carolina just, as I mentioned, in terms of the fact that they had not landed somebody in this class in nearly nine months. But there are still some Toriel fans that seem to be a little bit concerned about the direction in which this class is heading. Carolina, you know, is, has made a lot of top school lists here recently. A couple of them have been four-star prospects, but we've seen a lot of three-star prospects, a lot of guys from outside of the state of North Carolina that they've ended up, you know, really focusing on here lately. So, you know, it feels like there are still some people that are worried about where this class is headed. How concerned are you, Zach, about where this class sits right now and, and, and the prospects of it moving forward? Because I think, you know, this is just one of those different classes considering the fact that North Carolina and, and Virginia – I really don't think are as strong as we thought. We we said here and, and said last year that we thought the state of North Carolina was going to be really, really strong in 2023. But as we've gone along, I think we've started to see that it might not be as strong as we once thought. Yeah, and that may change down the line. I think that it's a mild to moderate concern. It's not no concern in terms of this class. And I do think, uh, just based on what we've heard thus far um, since the end of the 2021 season, that the combination of sort of the disappointments of last year as well as the lack of talent uh, in North Carolina and the Tidewater area of Virginia specifically were most likely in any scenario you're going to make this class a little bit lower uh, than the ones that we've seen in years past. It's probably not going to be, you know, class within the 11 to 15 range, sort of as we've seen the past two cycles, purely because there's not that level of talent in uh, Tar Heels' primary recruiting backyard that they can draw from. So that's why you're seeing 
a lot more of these offers in Georgia, in Florida, in places like that, and even offers in, in places like Alabama, Texas. They're, they're going a little bit more national uh, in 2023 to try to see you know, if they can find some inefficiencies, get a little bit more uh, out of there. I do think that they're, they're still going to have a good class. I don't think that they're going to be below 25. So I think sort of if you look at that, maybe 19 to 20, they might get there, but more likely the 21 to 25 range. That's probably where I place it at this point. Um, I, I think there's slight concerns. I mean, we've seen some guys within the footprint, within the North Carolina and Tidewater area footprint go to other schools. We've seen um, NC State have a little bit of success already in 2023. We've seen schools like Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, they've sort of been involved in some of these recruitments and have been able to sort of pick some of these guys that North Carolina has been able to lock down in the past few years. Uh, but I think the combination of just expanding the recruiting footprints, uh, specifically for this year, um, as well as getting some of these guys on official visits and really getting the momentum going, uh, I think that it will be not as good as we've seen in past years, but still a pretty good class, um, all things considered, for 2023. Yeah, the thing is, is yeah, I think you you have to be somewhat concerned, but at the same time. I think it's just something that you probably should have expected. Like, I, I get it. I get that this past year's class was phenomenal. First of all, it was going to be really hard to put together another class like that regardless. Now, if you would have came out and won 10, 11 games, okay, maybe then we can have that conversation. But regardless, even if that team had won eight or nine games, that was a historic class for Carolina. So it was still going to be tough. You you know, put bring in all the stuff going on with NIL, no restrictions. The rich at the top seem to be getting richer. You thought, okay, that could hurt as well. The biggest thing that hurt this team, and the reason why it shouldn't shock you that this team is is struggling a little bit early on, is they had a rough season this past year. They finished six and seven. Nobody thought that this team was going to be in the spot that they were when they finished the season at the beginning of the year. Most of us, you know, had probably convinced ourselves that, hey, this team can win double-digit games. So it's you are seeing the effects as most people said you would on the 2023 class. It wasn't going to be the 2022 class. A lot of those guys had already made their decisions. And even if they hadn't, they had such strong ties to the school already that they were going to stick with their convictions. In this case, I mean, that's the lasting memory for a lot of these guys before they started going out and taking visits was the struggles that Carolina had a year ago. So we'll have to see. You also, you know, have a a new defensive coordinator in place, uh, a new co-defensive coordinator with them, and a new guy coaching um, or at least overseeing the entire secondary and coaching specifically the safeties in Charlton Warren, and then a new offensive line coach. 
So there are some areas where Carolina has had to scramble a little bit. I mean, remember that even just going back to the situation with the offensive line coach, Stacey Searles left the day before the start of spring camp. So it's it's been a quick turnaround for this staff to have to go out there and try to recruit these guys in this cycle. I don't think you should be too concerned just yet. Um, and I think the expectations have to be that this is not going to be the same type of class that we saw brought in. But I think overall, you're going to start to see, especially this month with some of the guys that are taking official visits, you'll, you'll get a good gauge of where exactly your concern level should be at. If Carolina exits the month of June and they still have two, maybe they've only even added one more commitment to make it three commitments, and you see a lot of these other targets pulling the trigger on where they want to go and it's not Carolina, then I can understand why you would be concerned. But I think right now, you might you might be okay. Really quick, Zach, let's uh, head over to the other aspect of recruiting that we have nowadays, which is the transfer portal. Carolina uh, received two commitments on back-to-back days from Ohio State uh, transfers earlier, uh, you know, within the last few weeks, um, and they get you know a former four-star cornerback, a guy that's really just listed as a defensive back in Lejean Cavazos um, with the help of, of, of course, uh, Torrio basketball forward Armando Baycott. And then they land a guy that they recruited heavily, a guy that we talked about on this podcast uh, quite a few times in Jacoby Cowan out of uh, f- formerly of Providence Day High School, former high school teammate of Kedrick Bingley-Jones. And he transfers after after spending two years at Ohio State and not really making much of an impact. So, you know, Zach, first of all, just your initial thoughts on on these two guys coming in and, you know, what do you think the potential impact could be for these guys? Yeah, I think first off, it's it's always good to get um, a transfer out of one of these sort of, as you mentioned, the uh, rich getting richer, one of these elite schools. Um, they don't always turn out well, but it, it is uh, generally a good sign when you have schools like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State um, that have evaluated kids and accepted their commitment out of high school. It, it, it's it's generally good to follow in their footsteps in a lot of instances and see what you can get. Uh, for these two guys specifically, the first one that you mentioned, uh, Lejean Cavazos, uh, originally out of IMG Academy uh, in high school there in Brooklyn, Florida. That's sort of how he knew Armando Baycott. Uh, but as you mentioned, a guy that could uh, potentially play cornerback, I believe that's what he played in high school, but also has the potential to be, you know, more of a just pure defensive back prospect. So corner, but maybe nickel, maybe sort of a free safety. Uh, I think he gives you that versatility that he can fill in several spots, uh, specifically depending on who you want to get in the 2023 class. You have a guy that's sort of tailor-made to fill any gaps that you may have after the 22 cycle or immediately if he contribute if there's sort of gaps in that defensive back room. Uh, when you look at quarterbacks specifically, I mean, you have Tony Grimes that um, could be an early entrant into the NFL draft. You have Storm Duck that should be um, either, you know, a senior or have, you know, another guy after that if he utilizes the COVID eligibility. So um, he could be looking for, you know, a new outside corner in 2023. And I think uh, 
Sean could fill that gap if that's where he ends up. Um, on the other side, Colby Cohen, as you mentioned, a guy that we talked about a ton during his initial high school recruitment, uh, went to Ohio State and then came back to North Carolina and sort of is the cherry on top for you know, the great defensive line haul that we've seen over the past few cycles with guys like Keyshawn Silver, Javari Ritzy, uh, and Travis Shaw here as an incoming freshman. Um, I think he's a guy that, like LeJean, can fill multiple spots in his position, probably um, a power in or sort of strong side defensive end if you want to use that terminology, maybe a three-tech, possibly. Um, so just another depth piece and another piece of talent, you know, the defensive line. It's been a focus in recruiting over the past few years. It's something that could end up being a major strength for the Tar Heels over the next few uh, years. And I think that, you know, this is just another piece in that puzzle to have, you know, a really dominant defensive line within the ACC. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing is on that defensive line. I mean, look, you brought in talent, but you're still kind of waiting on that to produce. So adding another guy that kind of fits that same mold and, you know, has some familiarity with this staff, with, uh, you know, some of the guys on the team, primarily Kedrick Bingley-Jones, I, I don't think can hurt. Um, and, you know, the depth, you know, look, on, on the edges, it really isn't as strong as on the interior of the defense. Line, and that's where it looks like he's going to play as he's going to come off the edge for Carolina and they they kind of need some guys out there. So we'll just have to wait and see. When it comes to Cavazos, I think, you know, this one's pretty obvious. Um, the, the amount of injury issues that this team has had in the defensive backfield year in and year out uh, is, I mean, it's just, honestly, it's unbelievable the bad luck that they've had. Um, but it's something that you have to, you know, you got to address. And I think this does a good job of that. You get a guy that's experienced, that's competed with some of the best, and you know held a, a, a rotational role. Granted, not the most significant one, um, but still a rotational role on a national contender and uh, you know a defensive backfield that has produced just draft pick after draft pick. Um, and he's a guy that provides versatility in high school at IMG Academy. Played corner and played safety. That's huge. That that's something. That look that happens, you know. Sometimes at, at at most normal schools, you rarely see that from a guy that's at a prep school. So that's that that shows you how versatile this guy really is, and how he how many different things he can really do for you. So uh, I think both of those additions are, are are pretty big for Carolina. And look, they've been extremely ag- aggressive on uh, the transfer trail this year. Um, they've landed five guys there so far. I'm still a proponent of them potentially looking to try to land someone at wide receiver um, to try to add some you know some needed depth to this roster and and maybe even a little bit of competition in that room um, but you know even if they don't I think you have to be satisfied with what this team has done in the portal you know real quick with, with that Zach what do you think about my thought of them you know wanting to add somebody at wide receiver we've heard Mac Brown bring that up um, and it looks like there are still some solid options out there, do you think that that's an area where they should potentially still be looking for guys as it looks like there still might be some questions about what this depth chart looks like heading into the fall? Yeah, I absolutely think that 
they should try to add um, another wide receiver or even two out of the transfer portal. Um, if, they, if there's guys that you really want, they don't necessarily have to be uh, instant impact guys that, that have been the M.O. of Mac Brown in the transfer portal so far. They want to be a developmental program. If they take guys out of the transfer portal, they want to be guys that are filling a pretty immediate need such as uh, Corey Gaynor, uh, Spencer Rowland, or Noah Taylor, some of the early transfers that we saw for the Tar Heels in this past offseason thus far. I think that they are looking for wide receivers, but obviously up until this point, there hasn't been really any clear names that have come up as an option uh, for the Tar Heels, either that are, um, you know, academically where they need to be to transfer in, um, or, you know, uh, skill-wise where they need to be to really be you know, worth taking a guy in. I think that that is somewhat of a... a uh, to some extent for the Tar Heels uh, and the transfer portal. They do have higher academic standards uh, for transfers coming into school overall and that affects the football program as well. Um, so that is something that makes it a little bit more difficult to sort of comb through that list of potential transfers. And then NIL as well as you mentioned, there are schools that are offering you know different opportunities for that that might be more appealing to, to some guys in the process of their transfer. So I think that is, uh, just sort of as an aside, that is an extra benefit uh, to getting guys like Cavazos and Cohen is that they, they were able to sort of, you know, meet the requirements uh, academically to get in and then were, you know, deemed to be good fits and coming into that. Um, but I, I think that they are looking for a wide receiver. I'm not sure about what they're going to find there. Just, I mean, they're, they're looking all the time to see what they can find and really nothing has come up as of yet. We'll see. Um, if there's anyone else, but I believe for the most part, you know, guys have passed that May first deadline. So it's really, you know, you continue to comb through and see what you can find in terms of an impact guy. I think it's still pretty possible that they you know, see what they can find and take one guy um, before the fall. But it's really difficult to say, uh, especially seeing as a name has not already popped up as a really likely candidate to join the program before. Uh, and, and look, these guys can kind of come out of nowhere. Um, you know, and, and it was a relatively quick moving one, but with with uh, with Cowan, you know, that was a guy that just all of a sudden showed up as a guy that was visiting. You know, we'd seen his him in the portal, and we knew, okay, Carolina's got the connection of having recruited him out of high school. He's an in-state guy. He's got a teammate on the roster. But, um, you know, we, we – Honestly, I had kind of put that name aside. I had, you know, retweeted it and said, okay, well, this is someone that Carolina targeted back in the day, former four-star. Um, and then I, I kind of just put it to rest and thought, okay, we've seen these guys before. He's probably just going to end up somewhere else. And Carolina got him on campus and got him in for a visit. And, you know, it, right after his visit wrapped up, he ended up committing. So you never really know. But I think we'll know sooner rather than later. Um, if, you, if, if they get through the month of June, and that's a long way to go, I, I think it, you probably should know even sooner. Um, I, I think it, that first weekend or so in June, if they don't have somebody on campus by then, they might, you know, that, that might just kind of take all the wind out of the sails of them possibly adding somebody. Um, but uh, again, I, you know, I think that's an area that they've got to look long and hard at because I, 
you know, they said they liked some things that they saw from Kobe Paysauer. Um, you know, they talked about J.J. Jones and what he's brought to the table. A lot of people are excited about the thought of possibly Andre Green Jr. coming in and being an immediate impact guy. But, you know, again, he's a guy that's going to have to come in and sort of learn on the fly. Not being an early enrollee for him is probably what holds him back from a significant role this year. And Carolina needs consistent wide receivers. They need consistent targets. They needed them last year for Sam Howell, who is arguably the program's best quarterback ever, just in terms of talent. They're going to need it for Drake May and Jacoby Criswell, whoever is out there for them at some point this season. So I've got, you know, again, head over to the website. I told you guys about this last night when we recorded. Check out, you know, the article that I have up there. I give you three names that are in there that I think they should take a look at. I think are at least worth looking at for Carolina. No intel that they are looking at those guys, just guys that I personally think might be worth them uh, pursuing here uh, to try to add some depth and talent to that room. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back right after this ad from DraftKings. We'll do a little game of true-false. I got a couple of notes on the Toriels, and then uh, after that, we'll get you out of here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big day, a big payday during the NBA playoffs with DraftKings same game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPNXX. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Hey guys, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Zach Hubbard, our recruiting analyst with us. Let's get to a little true-false. I've got five true-false questions that I came up with here. I did add one late, uh, so that, that we'll throw that one in there as well. Um, but yeah, we're going to ask, uh, we're, we're going to put five true-false statements out there, and uh, we'll just, you know, re- we'll, we'll tell you whether it's true or false, give you a reason why we think that, um, and then I do have a couple closing notes to wrap up the episode. But uh, let's get into the true-false here, Zach. Uh, the first one I have on here is the Tar Heels will add at least one more commitment before the end of May. Do you think that's a true or false statement? I will have to go with false as of right now. That's really just a conservative estimate. Unless there's some guy that really just commits all of a sudden in May, I don't think that the timelines of most of the 2023 recruits really match up with a May commitment, at least based on the information we know. Uh, Potentially, if it's one of the guys that is um, 
potentially visiting next weekend for the 21st. It's possible. Uh, but, you know, you look at those guys in chat right now, four-star edge player Joshua Mickens, the two four-star defensive tackles in Joel Starlings and Jamal Jarrett that we'll discuss uh, in more detail in a little bit. And then Alawatosin Avalade as a three-star offensive tackle. And those are the four guys I have listed as uh, official visitors as of right now. And none of those guys, to me, as of today, really stick out as guys that are on a clear commitment watch. And there's not really a, another prospect out there that has a clear timeline um, before you know June that is going to lead to a commitment. Um, most of the guys in the 2023 class, are, they're going to take official visits in June. And I think sort of uh, June and then early July is when we should start looking for some of those commitments to roll in. So I'm going to say false on uh, having a commitment before the end of May, at least as of right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. I think, you know, the month of May is important, no doubt, for Carolina. But I think it's important for Carolina in terms of getting some of those guys that they did on campus um, and making a good impression and keeping themselves in the race for certain guys. The big weekend for Carolina is going to be the one at the end of June. That's going to be where you're going to see some of those mid-level prospects that are going to make their decisions a little bit earlier than some of the big time names that Carolina is going after as of right now though at least because you could see some other guys that could add their names to that mix um, but look I, I think you know, the two guys that are on campus I will say this I don't see any way that Jamal Jarrett makes a commitment announcement based on his visit to Carolina. He is going to take his other official visits, definitely the one to Georgia, and that's in the month of June. So I don't think that's going to be one. Um, jo- Joel Starlings is he's kind of interesting because I think Carolina is in a, a strong spot for him, um, but I think so is South Carolina, and that's one that as of right now, he has scheduled for the fall. So that could go even longer than what you know we're we're expecting for some of the other guys that we're talking about here. So you would imagine that's not going to happen either. Although I feel like that's the guy out of the two. If you really just blew him away, would be able to make his decision now as opposed to waiting. The there are you know I think the one there there's one guy that right now is not visiting at, at, that, that I know of, um, but that, you know, when he initially got his offer, I kind of looked at him and said, this is a guy that, I, that, that you could see commit kind of out of nowhere. And that's DJ Get, the offensive lineman from Dorman High School in Roebuck, South Carolina, a three-star. He's a teammate of four-star offensive uh, line recruit for the Tar Heels, Marky Anderson. Um, he's one of those guys that I think is worth just always keeping an eye on because that's one. He's, he's a guy that's uh, uh, a legacy. Uh, his dad played for the 1993 basketball team that won the national championship under Dean Smith. Um, so he's a guy that you never know. One of these weekends, he could just choose to go up there and just pull the trigger. So 
that's one of the type of guys that I think is worth keeping an eye on. I know Babalade is a guy that we've seen, you know, some people say Carolina's in really good standing with. His his recruitment, honestly, is one of the cloudiest ones, I think, right now that Carolina's working on. I think there's a chance that they could be in the driver's seat. I think there's also a chance that there could be a bunch of other uh, ones that could be in the driver's seat for him that are recruiting him. It's just kind of all over the place um, with him. So... Uh, we'll, we'll we'll just have to wait and see, but I agree with you. I think right now I would have to say that that's false. Um, how about this one? The second one here, Zach. The Toriels will land one of the two defensive tackle commits that they host next weekend. Now, this doesn't mean this after that visit, but in the end, Carolina will hold a commitment when they go to early signing day from either Jamal Jarrett or Joel Starling. Do you think that is true or false? I think as of today, I think that is true. I think that they will land either one of the over one or the other. Excuse me. I do not think they'll land both, and they probably don't have room for both, regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Jamal Jarrett specifically, uh, he is the in-state recruit um, from the Greensboro area, I believe, at uh, Grimsley High School, the same high school as Travis Shaw. There's certainly mm-hmm. that connection there. Uh, but if you look at where his recruitment is now, sort of the key phrase that's uh, used later his is that he is very impressionable, that really any visit uh, gives him you know, a lot to think about and really can propel a school uh, into not necessarily the top spot, but into a good spot in his recruitment. So I, I think that he still has a lot going on in his recruitment. Like you mentioned, I don't think he's anywhere close. I don't think he is really even remotely a threat to commit after he officially visits um, here next weekend. I think getting that first visit um, is honestly based on that sort of framework of his recruitment. It's probably not uh, beneficial to North Carolina if he's going to other places later in his cycle when he's still, you know, being impressed upon, then, you know, he could wait and then have maybe some more of a, uh, a fresher view of another school on his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like you mentioned, Georgia's a big name here. They're really selling um, sort of a, a similar role to what they had with Jordan Davis, um, one of their top draft picks this past year, and another North Carolina native, another one of those you know, big nose tackle, nose guard type figures. I think that if, if I had to pick a team to be currently, I'd probably pick them. But like mm-hmm. I mentioned, very impressive. So North Carolina is by no means done in this recruitment, uh, but I think that it is an uphill battle against the dogs right now. Uh, but the other guy, Joel Starlings, like you mentioned, it does feel like the North Carolina is in a pretty good position. Uh, I don't think they've gotten this guy on campus a bunch, but he is a Virginia guy, so they have that connection. Uh, previous Michigan commit, mm-hmm. um, committed pretty early in the process and sort of backed off. So taking his time is key to his cycle right now. We'll take that early official visit in May, but should also visit unofficially in the fall. So you know, North Carolina, more likely than not, get at least two visits from him prior to his commitment. He'll probably take it until the early signing period in December. If you look at the other schools involved, sort of um, on the official visit schedule, um, UVA, West Virginia, South Carolina, potentially Oklahoma, 
Um, Oklahoma, if they get that official visit, I think could be a significant factor with new head coach Brett Venables as well as the new defensive line coach uh, in Todd Bates, who was obviously very good at Clemson and then South Carolina. Obviously had a little bit of momentum right now coming off that bowl win. Um, so I think there could be factors here, but I think you just look at his prior commitment to Michigan, the fact that North Carolina and Virginia are involved here, you know, sort of representing the high academic schools uh, amongst the schools that he's involved with. I think that that could be somewhat of a factor. There's not really any information to suggest that. That's more a sort of gut feeling at this time. So I actually feel a little bit better about Joel Starlings than I do Jamal Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think true that they do get one of those two in the 2023 recruitment class. I will have to say false as of right now. Um, with Jarrett, I, I think, yeah, you you brought up a really good point. I think that Georgia is probably the team to watch for with him right now. That's probably the team to beat. Um, Clemson is another one that has gotten in recently that I think is going to have something to say in this recruitment. The team that scares me the most most, though, is a team that was not in his top schools list and that he actually expanded the list for um, just a couple of days after he released it. And that's Texas A&M. They got an offer in and within a day he said, look, they are a serious contender. So that's the one that I think is starting to concern me a little bit. With Carolina, as you mentioned, look, he's a very impressionable guy. Um, And he's a guy that definitely values the fact that, one, Carolina was in very early on him. Um, They were in before he even got to Grimsley High School. Um, And they also have Travis Shaw. And he really likes the idea of reuniting with him. Um, But I I think right now that pull of Georgia is just way too strong because it feels like everything that you see from recruiting experts, every time they update them, they're starting to get more of a strong feeling about his chances to end up ultimately at Georgia. And you just look at the quotes of him talking about the schools, and it feels like Georgia's that team that he has that real special connection to. When it comes to Joel Starlings, that one, I I think Carolina's got a fighting chance. My concern is that this is going to drag into the fall. Carolina's going to get a little impatient because there are some other targets um, that – Carolina has at the position that are probably going to want to commit. And this could just really be uh, a a thing where whoever gets to the offer first gets it, especially on the defensive line. That's an area where Carolina is probably going to limit the amount of guys that they take unless you're an elite-level prospect. And Joel Starlings might meet that requirement. But that's a spot where Carolina has a lot of depth just over the last couple of years in terms of what they've been building up. We just talked about Jacoby Cowan coming in as a transfer who's still got three years of eligibility left. Um, so, yeah, that that's a spot where Carolina is going to be picky about which guys they take on. I just wonder if Starlings is going to wait a little bit too long for Carolina. I think they'll be in the running. I think South Carolina could just beat them head up. They're doing a heck of a job recruiting him as well. And it, it, like you said, I think that Oklahoma is one team to monitor the Right now, he's only taken an unofficial visit. Um, He's taken that unofficial visit, I believe, in the first weekend of 
of June was when uh, they had that scheduled. So um, he is going to go out there for an unofficial. That'll be his first ever visit to Oklahoma. That's why it's an unofficial and not just a, an outright official. But um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. I think it'll probably come down to uh, the Battle of the Carolinas. But uh, will Carolina have some room? And part of the reason why I say that, I think I think Carolina is probably going to land an in-state guy in Davian Hobbs out of J.M. Robinson High School in Concord. They you know, jumped in with an offer, and they immediately took over as the leader for him. And that seems like uh, that's going to be their standing for a while unless something major changes. Um, and there's a couple other guys that Carolina is looking at, too. One guy that's probably going to make his decision here soon, Carolina, uh, is, pro- is going to, uh, I believe, host him for uh, an official visit. Yes, that final weekend of uh, of, of June as well in Rodney Laura, the three-star defensive line recruit out of Woodbury Forest High School in the state of Virginia. So you've got him as well. And then there's another guy that no one's really talking about here, but Carolina is still in the running for him too, and that's Montague Rames out of Sumter High School in Sumter, South Carolina. So Carolina's got a bunch of different guys that they're looking at that the defensive line position. I don't I right now out of those two guys, I, I just don't think that they are going to land one of the two. The good news is, is that Davian Hobbs, who I told you about, that's a guy that's currently, as of right now, ranked higher than both of those guys. So that could be uh, still a very significant addition for Carolina if they're able to land him. Uh, Let's move on to the third one here, Zach. We know North Carolina is important, but... As I mentioned earlier, it's not quite the crop that we thought it was going to be at one time. As of right now, do you believe that Georgia, where Carolina has spread a lot of offers around recently, Carolina's got a lot of significant targets there, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is the most important state for the Tar Heels in the 2023 recruiting cycle? I think that it is very close between the two. Uh, right now, I think uh, just based on the number of offered prospects in each state, I probably have Georgia and North Carolina as the top two uh, states uh, overall in their brief footprint for 2023. Um, and despite it being a close competition, I'm actually going to go with true that Georgia is ever so slightly more important for the Tar Heels in the 2023 class. I can sort of explain um, what each state offers and sort of what the distinction is here. When you look at North Carolina in terms of what what are the prospects in state at key positions that they are looking to get. You know, if you look at wide receiver, as we mentioned earlier, there's a number of good wide receivers here in North Carolina that they are in on. You look at Christian Hamilton, Chris Culver, uh, Kevin Conception, Nathan Leacock, and even Noah Rogers um, as you know one of the, the top wide receivers in the country. Uh, so that's obviously a position, um, depending on how you view the tight end position for North Carolina, it's low numbers, but it's also low on usage thus far in the Philongo offense. Uh, three-star tight end Vance Bolliard is a pretty solid option there uh, for the Tar Heels in tight ends so that could potentially be on your board of needs. And then edge rusher. 
position. I think they're looking to continue to get talent at, and you've got some, you know, four-star guys in Rico Walker and J. Ron Harvey, and then, you know, defensive line, more of a true defensive end, like you mentioned, in David Hobbs. Um, so you do have some needs that are met there uh, with North Carolina, but if you look specifically at Virginia, I think that they have more options at positions that are higher on the need board, at least in terms of numbers for North Carolina, specifically offensive line and defensive back. Uh, for offensive line, you look at guys like Ian Gifford and Robert Rigby. Uh, they're in Georgia. Those are pretty you know, significant offensive line options in 2023. Uh, linebacker as well, I didn't mention them. Um, also a linebacker, uh, they have about five scholarship guys at right now, so that's a position that they certainly want to add probably one or two guys at in the 2023 class. you got a, a very good one in Caleb uh, Ruval, as well as another option in Jeremiah Lander. Uh, but defensive back, you know, there's a number of options for the Tar Heels there that are you know, legitimate uh, options for them. Uh, Chase Arnold, Colton Hood, uh, Caleb Koff, Shelton Lewis, uh, just to name a few, as well as probably the biggest finish for North Carolina in the 2023 recruiting cycle in five-star safety and brother of Josh Downs, Caleb Downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just based on uh, having a number of guys that are a little bit uh, that are at positions that are a little bit higher on the needs board, um, as well as if, if you're looking for sort of the, the top 100 guys that North Carolina are in on, even if they are not the clear favorite, um, specifically Noah Rogers, Caleb Downs, sort of two big names, one for each state. Um, I think you have to give a little bit of, of uh, deference there to Caleb Downs. And I think that, you know, all of that together gives Georgia just the slightest edge here over the Tar Heel State. I'm going to agree with you. Um, and this is the second straight year where I think that, you know, and, and again, it's very clear that you have to win your home state. There's no doubt about that. Mac Brown talks about that all the time. And I think this is extremely close. Where I thought last year it was very, very obvious in the 2022 cycle that Carolina had to win the state of Virginia. If they did not, they were going to struggle on the recruiting trail. I think this year... You know, it's it's really close, like you mentioned. I will say this. I think the biggest need in this class, because of what we've seen in terms of attrition at the position over the past couple of years, and we knew, you know, from just from years past how well Carolina had recruited the position. It's just they've struggled to keep guys there. Um, wide receiver's the biggest need in this class. They need the depth. Josh Downs is probably gone after this year just because he is that talented. I mean, they some of the early pre-draft, you know, or uh, the the predictions on uh, the mock drafts. That's what I'm looking for for the 2023 class. The way too early ones. There are some that have him going top ten. Um, I think if he's even in the first round of the draft, it's a no-brainer. Um, and 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 usually these, if he's in the first two days of the draft, most people will think that he will go off the board so or, or that he will take that opportunity uh, and and forego his senior season but 
Yeah, I, I think it, it it's it's close because of that. But I would go with Georgia just because you look at, you know, cornerback. That's an area where Carolina needs guys. And look, they got, you know, Jace Arnold is a major target out of Marietta High School. Uh, Caleb Cost, the two-star uh, or two-sport athlete, excuse me, uh, out of Sandy Creek High School uh, down there in Georgia. Colton Hood, another guy that they jumped in on uh, out of McDonough, Georgia at East uh, Eagles Landing. Christian Academy, and then Shelton Lewis. Just at the cornerback position alone, you have four guys that Carolina is in pretty good standing with. And then, of course, you mentioned the guy that everybody is going to be talking about in Caleb Downs. And look, Carolina, as of right now, kind of looks like they're on the outside looking in with him. Um, and, and hopefully they can get themselves back in the thick of that race. That's one, though, that because of the tie to his brother in, in Josh. And of course, as we know, with one of the storylines that was around Josh, Caleb being the nephew of Tar Heel cornerback coach uh, Dre Bly, you know that's going to be a big-time push for Carolina. They are going to make sure that they are at least a factor late. Dre will make sure that that is the case. So uh, I, I think that's an argument. I'm going to tell you, Florida's right in there too, though, when you look, especially with the guys that they've been offering in the defensive backfield. I think if you look on the defensive side of the ball, you could make the case that Florida could be right in there as well. But you mentioned the linebacker position um, with, with Talinder um, as, as well as Laval, uh, who Carolina is, is taking a serious look at, at both of those guys. Of course, I still think you know they are looking at Grant Tucker as an in-state guy as well. Uh, that's another guy that I think they value very highly in this class. And then a guy out of the state of Virginia and Amari Campbell is another guy worth keeping an eye on uh, there. But uh, I think what kind of puts them over the top is, yes, yeah, some of these other miscellaneous guys that – you're kind of throwing in there, especially a guy like Robert Grigsby. That's a guy that is not going to get talked about as much as some of these other guys that Carolina is going after on the offensive line. But it feels like he is becoming a pretty big guy for Carolina to land. Um, right now, it's 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 down to six, I believe he cut his list to. Um, but really, it's, a, it's, it's three teams. It's Carolina, it's State. And it's Vanderbilt. And that's one of the ga- th- those ones that you really want to win if you're Carolina. Because, yeah, it, you know, it's it's definitely, you know you're going to be locked in battles with State on the recruiting trail here in North Carolina. But now that State's trying to expand outside of the state of North Carolina, if you can win those battles against them outside of the state as well as in the state, that would be huge. So uh, I think that's another one that Carolina definitely values. And then, yeah, on the interior of the defensive line, you know, Carolina is looking at some guys there as well. They've passed out a couple offers here lately uh, as well, two guys out of the state of Georgia. So it's clear that they are having an effect in that state. Um, And I think, yeah, it's going to be valued, especially, you know, in that defensive backfield, because I think one of the big reasons why Georgia has been hit so heavily and Florida is because of Charlton Warren. I think the state of Georgia uh, is a little more important important, slightly more important uh, than the state of North Carolina in this class, which makes it the most important state. Um, how about this one, Zach? Uh, speaking of, you know, those in-state receivers that we talked about, uh, Carolina will land an in-state receiver in this class. It, it, you look at it, 
Noah Rogers, Christian Hamilton, uh, Chris Culliver, Kevin Concepcion, uh, and Nathan Leacock are the guys that are offered. Do you think Carolina picks up one of those commitments, true or false? Oh, absolutely true. I think they probably get more than one out of that list. I think that they're in good spots for a number of those guys, probably specifically um, Chris Culliver and Christian Hamilton. Um, I think we've seen a lot of crystal balls coming recently for Noah Rogers to Ohio State. And I think that based on current information, that's a recruitment that could uh, be wrapping up pretty quickly. Uh, but Kevin Concepcion, uh, still a guy that's involved there, Nathan Leacock, a pretty um, recent offer, but one that North Carolina has gotten pretty involved in uh, there. And um, also, uh, a guy that you mentioned, uh, primarily a linebacker who does play wide receiver at the high school level, Grant Tucker. Um, you know, crazy good things can happen. He could be one that they decide to, you know, flip their focus there. So, in terms of North Carolina getting a in-state wide receiver in this class, I would say absolutely, and I think they probably get at least two. If I had to guess, as of right now. Yeah, I think they get one um, or, or or more. I agree with you on that. Um, Noah Rogers, I think, yeah, we're kind of all in the same spot now. I think we think that that's probably uh, Ohio State lean with NC State pushing. Um, and it looks like Carolina just really isn't going to be a major factor there. They may they, they may get an official visit and maybe that can change some things, but it feels like that one's kind of kind of out of their range. But I think the other four guys Carolina's got a legitimate shot at. Christian Hamilton, Carolina's been on him for a while. Texas A&M is another team that's in the running there, and that's, uh, again, a team that uh, has used their the, the NIL to really make an impact in their recruiting. Um, so we'll have to see. But I, I, it feels like, you know, with him, it's been relatively quiet, but Carolina has kind of been that steady leader for him for a while. Uh, of course, plays under a former Tar Heel as well, so that could potentially factor in, but we'll have to just wait and see. Chris Culver, his his recruitment is also another one that's kind of remained relatively quiet. It feels like, you know, the Tar Heels have had him on campus pretty often. I think he's, you know, one of the guys that they value highly at that position. And it feels like they probably are in the driver's seat right now, but App State has really done a good job of recruiting him. It makes sense from Maiden, North Carolina, App State, pretty close to him, actually closer uh, than uh, Chapel Hill for him. But uh, I, I think if Carolina really wants him, they can turn up the heat and, and land his commitment. None of the other teams nationally have really gotten involved strongly with him, but that's something to monitor here uh, with him being a borderline four-star prospect. Concepcion, if NC State was the team that I think was the leader for him for the longest time until he got that Carolina offer. Now I think it's kind of a back-and-forth race there. I know that he was seeking that Carolina offer, and I don't know if that was really just to add another offer to the sheet and and, and add all of those in-state teams uh, to the offer sheet, or if that is a guy that uh, really does want to be a target. We'll have to see. Uh, But I think Carolina's definitely got a shot for him, especially with the fact that you do have Power Eccles, who is on campus. That was a guy that Concepcion played with uh, for for a couple of years on uh, a couple of state title team so 
definitely a guy I think that Carolina has a shot at. And then Leacock, he is kind of an interesting one. Um, He's going to fly under the radar. He's not going to be talked about as much as Culver or Hamilton or even Concepcion. And at this point, it doesn't even seem like he gets as much recognition as a guy out of state that just revealed his top eight in Paul Billups, who Carolina feels has to feel pretty confident with where they're at at this point. Um, But he's a a guy that Carolina jumped on here recently and got an offer into. Uh, Again, state with them, him being right in their backyard at Millbrook High School is, you know, probably in the best standing. But look, Carolina is not adverse to going into Millbrook High School here recently and taking a guy even with a later offer than some of the other schools that have been in it for a while. They did it with Diego Pounds. I don't know if Leacock is a guy. I mean, Diego Pounds was pretty much wanting that offer, was begging for that offer to come through. I don't know if that's the case with Leacock, but I think Carolina's got a chance there. Uh, But I agree with you. I think that there will probably be two from that group um, that that will come out of there. I, I think one of them will probably Probably be um, either Hamilton or Concepcion as probably the slot guy, and then you'll have one of the guys on the outside uh, that will probably commit there as well. Although Paul Billups will play a factor here uh, if he can beat some of these guys uh, to uh, that commitment. Uh, so the last one that we'll do here, Zach, uh, the Tar Heels will finish this cycle with a top 20 class. We've been talking about the concerns that some people have. But do you think that that is a true or false statement? Yeah, so I sort of mentioned this a little bit earlier um, when we were talking about those concerns. Um, I sort of look at this class uh, within maybe the 18 to 20 or 21 to 25 range, sort of as a a wide range where I think they're going to end up. Um, I don't think that they're going to have a top 15 class like they've had um, in the past few cycles. But I do think um, that they are going to take a few more guys in 2023 than they have past few classes. So they're going to have a little bit more of quantity on their side to sort of make up for the lack of these uh, blue chip prospects that they've gotten in the last few classes. Um, Just based on that range, I mean, there's more numbers on, you know, 21 and 25. Uh, I will be a little bit optimistic uh, and say that it will be within the top 20. However, I I would probably lean more towards 19 or 20. So just within that line, I will just barely say true, just as a glass half full approach that they will get enough enough guys and enough you know top 500 or, or four star guys in this class that it will give them just enough to be within that top 20 range i like your optimism and i'm gonna go with you i will say they finished with a top 20 class as well um i think it's like you said the quantity will definitely help them uh in terms of the number of guys that they'll bring in as opposed to the last couple of years um which is really what made the this past year's class just so special was how you know how they finished with a top 10 class 
And they did it with so few commitments in the class as opposed to what you normally think of. Most people normally think of 25 as a full class. Um, And I think Carolina will be closer to that. So that'll definitely help them here. I think, especially when you look on the defensive side of the ball, you're starting to see more and more of these guys that Carolina is offering and getting into the mix with as guys that are inside of the top 500 like we've talked about, which I think is the area that you need to be in where you need to be landing guys to get yourself in range to be a top 20 class. It's not going to be as top heavy. You're not going to have uh, these big time headliners like you've had the last few years unless there's a guy that really just starts to sail up the recruiting rankings, which is possible. But I do think that Carolina will have enough there to finish with a top 20 class. So really quickly, just wanted to give you a couple of closing notes on the way out here. Uh, first, you know, uh, there have been some rookie Rookie mini camps that have gotten underway. Of course, we've seen the videos coming out. Sam Howell and rookie mini camp with his uh, team, the Washington Commanders. Um, people just devastated to find out that Sam Howell is not a steak or burger guy, even though we knew that for the past year and a half or so when they did, of course, talk to him about that. Uh, us Tar Heel fans were not shocked by that, but people are just taken aback by that. Um, and he is one of many Tar Heels that are participating in rookie minicamps. Of course, you have the four guys uh, that are drafted. Joshua Zudu, Marcus McKeithen did start uh, their uh, minicamp today with the New York Giants. Um, not 100% sure whether or not Ty Chandler and the Vikings have gotten underway just yet. Um, But you also have the six other guys uh, that Carolina um, had that were undrafted free agents that did start uh, or that are starting uh, their rookie mini camp here uh, as well. So uh, that those are the guys that I think everybody was keeping an eye on heading into this week. But now there is another name popping up that we, you know, kind of were wondering where exactly he was at uh, that is now in rookie minicamp. It's interesting. He's not a rookie. He's been in the league a few years now. But former Tar Heel wide receiver Ryan Switzer is participating in rookie minicamp with the Carolina Panthers. He does live here in Charlotte, so it made a little bit of sense. He was here, actually worked out with Sam Howell when Sam Howell had an individual workout for the Panthers here in Charlotte um, and and, uh, was actually at the regional camp uh, that they do each year. Most teams do it where they host, uh, you know, some guys for basically a a regional pro day. It gives uh, them a look at some of the local prospects, uh, usually for situations like this where you can bring in some of these guys uh, to try to make your mini, you know, past your minicamp roster and make your 90-man roster to compete in the preseason. Um, And they clearly liked what they saw from Ryan Switzer when he was out there helping out Sam Howell. So he is uh, coming in. We'll see. You know, again, he has just had some of the worst injury luck over the last two years, Uh, both years with the uh, Cleveland Browns and did not even make it into preseason because of injury. So uh, definitely a guy worth monitoring moving forward. And also the last thing we will say, wanted to congratulate Mitchell Trubisky and his wife Mariah on their first child, Hudson. He was born uh, earlier this week. Uh, Mitch posted a picture of him uh, and his wife who looks to be doing very well after uh, the baby came. Uh, so congratulations to them. 
them. Um, and that is uh, just awesome to see uh, some of these guys that are, you know, just recently removed from uh, the college level that are uh, starting families and everything like that. So congratulations to the Trubisky family. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you head over to the website, check out all the stuff that we got over there. We've got a bunch of recruiting stuff for you. We're going to have you covered when it comes to uh, the official visits uh, that Carolina is going to be hosting on campus. If anything major happens, we will have you covered on that front. Uh, Do have a breakdown of some of those guys that have, of course, released their top schools list here recently. There are a couple of guys who have released it since we wrote that article, but if you want to go back and read uh, about a majority group of guys uh, that did uh, end up narrowing down their list, some major targets on there for Carolina, you can go back and check that one out. Of course, we do have the commitment article from Nolan McConnell if you want to go a little more in-depth on what exactly Carolina is getting. We talked about him earlier in the episode, but uh, that one's a little bit more extensive you can check that out as well Um, and then we do have you know some other articles on there I told you about the article uh, that I wrote uh, about three targets that I think Carolina should pursue at the wide receiver position in the portal Um, so make sure you keep an eye out on that and weekly storylines are coming back we will have our first edition Uh, I am looking at either Sunday night or Monday morning to release that so keep an eye on the website for all of that stuff, HeelToughBlog.com. When it comes to the podcast, you can check out the podcast wherever you check out your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of those major sites, the Heel Tough Blog podcast is there, as is the Four Corners podcast. Make sure you guys check out the basketball edition of the podcast. Uh, a little bit quiet on the site side of things with everything that's going on, um, but we did just have the Hubert Davis apology letter from uh, Josh. He read that. We played some audio clips uh, that uh, made him cringe just a little bit on some of the takes that he had earlier in the season. You don't want to miss that fun edition of the podcast that we did there. But he is, of course, going to have you covered on the podcast side of things and on the website side of things with everything going on uh, around Tar Heel basketball um, when it comes to the NBA draft combine, uh, mainly Matthew Mayer and what he is doing there and if he is going to pull out um, and potentially enter the transfer portal, which could be very beneficial for Carolina. One place to check out all the stuff we just talked about is the social media pages, Facebook, at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. That's where we post all the articles, all the video editions of the podcast if they, if and when they do return, and all the audio editions of the podcast. Those are always going to be there for you guys, so make sure you check those out. And also, Head over to the Twitter page at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter for uh, the official page, and then the personal pages at HTB Anthony for me, at Hack Zubbard two for Zach Hubbard, and at HTB Josh for Josh Marlowe. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Zach for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. <laughs>